Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you very much for tuning in this morning. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and then we are recording episode 107. Before I introduce my guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast. It's called A Gift from Adversity. This is available on Amazon. And subtitle of this book is called Overcoming Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And I had experienced all these things growing up in Japan. And in my book, I start with the scene where I was in Israel, Dead Sea, and then jump into where I got Heroes Among Us. And I want to share a quick epigraph, which is called the sooner you can find the courage to accept your adversity, the sooner you can pave a positive path in your precious life. So that is from my book. So let's introduce today's guest. Hello. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? Good. Well, first of all, I need to get that book. <laughs> I'm going to go order that book right away. Um, I, again, I want to just honor you in everything that you're doing here, because this is so, it's so important that we share our story because we all have different experiences that, you know, adversity that we struggle with. And so you're giving people this platform to share about what they've been through and how they've been able to come out of it. So I want to just say thank you to you for giving me this opportunity and for all of your guests. So I'm 107. I'm thanking you for all the 106 of people that have come on here already. And, and that will come on. Well, Christina, thank you so much for coming in. So can you tell our audience who you are and where you're coming in from this morning and then what you do and if you have any social media or anything that people can learn more about you? Yeah, sure. So I'm coming from Pittsburgh. I'm originally from New York. So you're, you'll hear that accent come out when I say coffee. I have my coffee here. <laughs> um, so I am uh, at the pharmacist coach on Instagram, Christina Fontana, everywhere else. And what I do is I help healers, coaches, and entrepreneurs to show up and shine, turn your gifts to gold so you can scale your profitable healing business online. And the reason why I am so passionate about this is because I have been through adversity. And I know that we're going to talk about that today, a little bit of some of those struggles that I've been through, because trust me, I am not perfect at all. Um, I still am you know, going along in my own healing journey. And so just want to say that before we start. Well, Christina, thank you very much. Before I dive into our first question, I just want to ask how so you are a doctor, you're a pharmacist. Um, like what what do you do exactly using your um, professions um, so as a pharmacist? Yeah, so I help healers in healthcare, like nurses, pharmacists, uh, coaches, doctors to essentially get out of your own way. A lot of us have, have self-sabotage, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that that are that whenever you go to put yourself out there and try to maybe grow a wellness business online, some of that self sabotage comes through. So like people pleasing perfectionism, the fear of being seen. So in order for you to feel safe to shine in your business and be able to do something like what you're doing here and sharing your story, 
it requires that inner healing. And that's really what I love doing is doing that deeper inner healing. And I'll talk about some of the modalities I use, but also strategy to help more healers reach more clients. And that's how we create a, a domino effect of healing in the world, which is really why I'm here and why I was so drawn to your podcast, because I know that in digesting our trauma and being able to move through that healing journey and then to speak that and share that is is a gift because other people are probably five steps maybe behind you that they don't feel safe to share about their story or their trauma. So um, that is really, I hope to be a beacon of light for people as I share my story here to let you know that anything is possible for you. Thank you so much. And then I really appreciate you acknowledging my podcast and also the past guests. And then it's definitely being a journey. And then thank you again for coming in today and then being a part of it. Yeah, oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the first question, which is the adversity. So can you tell us what was your adversity? Yeah, so I grew up in a very chaotic household. I guess that's the, the easiest way to say it. And, you know, my dad had a lot of narcissistic traits. He was highly critical, um, physically, mentally, emotionally, emotionally abusive to me and my siblings with my, my mom had come from, uh, an alcoholic, uh, her father was alcoholic. And, you know, so both of them came from traumatic households. And as a result, we was recapitulated on, on myself. And so I grew up in a very highly critical, abusive environment. And as a result, as I was growing up, my coping mechanisms were to be good, to achieve, to stay small and safe, because I was always highly sensitive and I wasn't allowed to cry. So I was very suppressed. And I felt like I couldn't be myself. So it was a challenge when I was growing up because I wound up having all of these effects from the abuse that I had experienced. And I had, uh, you know, an uh, anxiety, depression, eating disorders. I had anorexia in high school, and then it's called night eating syndrome in from 18 to 25. And as I was growing up, I, again, I was, I felt like I had to be good. Like I had to do what my parents wanted me to do, which was, you know, my dad was a pharmacist. So I went to pharmacy school and I followed that straight and narrow path of like, this is the safe thing to do. But in my final year of pharmacy school, I started to have this gut feeling that I was meant to do something else. And so I went down a different path and I decided to do a residency, which my parents did not like. So residency is essentially another year after pharmacy school where you go, it's like an internship essentially. And my dad had a pharmacy. He wanted me to work at that pharmacy. And so I said to him, I was so terrified. I can still remember it to this day, getting on the phone with him and telling him, Hey, I want to go do this other thing. And he was livid because I had never really stepped out or spoken a desire of what I wanted. So I was ridiculed all of like, I wasn't physically abused again, but it was a lot of that, uh, like the silent treatment. Cause I was still living at home with my parents. So my entire family was mad at me because I was betraying the family and going and doing something else and stepping out right for the first time in my life. So I was struggling with night eating syndrome at that time, which is like a, a, a binge and purge. I wasn't throwing up, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and just gorge on food 
And then I would, uh, you know, over-exercise during the day. It was kind of this vicious cycle. So I had that. I had anxiety. And I was living in this, again, the chaotic household of feeling so guilty for wanting to pursue something that I knew I wanted to do. So anyway, I wound up getting this residency and I worked really hard for it. And the day that I got that residency, I get a, I got a text from my mom and she was like, you better come get all your stuff. Cause we're, we're throwing it on the lawn. So I was terrified and I came home and all of my stuff was outside my entire room that I, you know, I was 23 at the time, all of my coats. I mean, just everything, look at your, you know, a room that you have right now, everything was out on the porch. And I was embarrassed because everything, my, my whole life was torn upside down. I wasn't allowed to go in the house. So I had money, I had cash in there, you know, that I had kind of hidden stashed away. And my mom said like, you're not getting that you're not allowed in the house. And I had to literally get my, my things in, in like, you know, those plastic leaf bags, like clear leaf bag. I had to get all of my things and stuff them in this tiny Mazda three car. It's like this little sedan. And I knew in that moment, I said, this is going to be, this is my rock bottom, but this is going to be a story that I tell and that I speak on stages about, because I knew that I was going to get out of it. And by the grace of God, I have, I've, I've been able to move through. And then obviously from that PTSD and so much trauma that had been, you know, cause literally my safety was uprooted. So I got fired from my dad's pharmacy that day. I had no place to live. Um, I was living out of my car and I eventually stayed with a friend, but that, that really was kind of that defining moment in my life where God really just, my life was, was leveled to the ground. And I knew that that was going to be kind of my, the, the fertile soil for me to rebuild a life that was authentic to me. And I was able to get away from that abuse. So I, I know that you don't want me to go into the healing yet, but this is essentially what happened. And then, you know, I had narcissistic boyfriends and people that slashed my tires and I was attracting all of this horrible, um, all of these horrible circumstances. So I'll leave it there. That's pretty much the gist of it. So. Christina, first of all, my heart breaks for you. Um, unfortunately I had experienced homelessness, similar situation when I was 18. I mm. came back from, it's in my book. I came back from America as an exchange student for six months. I came to Narita Airport. My sister said it because you're 18. My mom said, you can't stay anymore. So I had a friend who was going to stay with me. And then um, we had to get a hotel. And then from that, like I was homeless completely. So I sympathize with you. And then you mentioned about your parents being yeah. narcissistic and abusive. And then were you physically abused too? Like, Oh, yeah. Yep. So I think that, so my dad had experienced that, right? So my dad got hit and he was the oldest of five. And that was what they did to punish and keep kids in line and, and control their behavior. So I think that that was something that he thought was normal. And I didn't even realize until I was about 23 that, I had been abused. Like it wasn't even a thought in my mind until someone said it to me. And I was like, Oh yeah, I guess you're right. I like, because you're growing up in it. So it doesn't seem 
you're like, oh, like everybody doesn't, doesn't everybody grow up like this? And it's like, no, they don't. So yeah. Yep. What are the harmful things that you remember? Um, I just remember seeing my father hit me and, you know, just, I mean, I can remember when I was three years old, I, I peed my pants cause I was so scared. And that's what, that's what I would do is I, you're like this little kid. And I was so terrified of him that like, you know, that that's actually something I've never shared before, but yeah, like I was just, I was so scared, you know, that, that terror that you have when someone is abusive to you and you know, what's coming, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, what, it, what's about to happen to me. But, um, you know, I've seen, I'm not going to share about my siblings cause I want to protect their privacy, but like seeing that too, um, my brother specifically, you know, got it a lot worse than I did, but I, I want to, you know, respect their privacy and, and not share it, but I'll share about myself. So. So growing up, um, in my book, I, I shared that uh, my grandfather was physically attacking uh, my uncle. So I grew up with that too. And then witnessing, and then I remember one day he was beating him up so much. I think he was mentally a little bit um, delayed or something. Uh, I I don't know, an alcoholic. And then I've seen a lot of violence, um, not just towards me, but the other people in my house, my mom included, that I uh, witnessed my father beating up my mom. And then I was small, like four, um, or maybe in an elementary school one time that I lost my voice. I remember like really vividly that I was really clinging on to my grandpa's leg because he was kicking my ankle and I wanted to stop it physically. So I went and screamed and then the next day I lost my voice. And then, so that was just alone, but witnessing the other people's trauma, that is traumatizing as well. Oh, and yeah on top of it that you had experienced. So what are some of the worst things that you've heard from your parents towards you? Oh, like whenever I got kicked out of my house, it was like, you're not my daughter anymore. Um, get away from your fucked up family. Like, you know, we're, you were too dysfunctional for you. I mean, it was just that to me, I'll never forget. It was that, that day that I got kicked out and it was just all of these horrible text messages that were coming through. And I think it was because they felt so out of control that they couldn't control me anymore that that's they were trying to almost like guilt or force me to stay because actually a couple of days after that they invited they were like oh we'll come back and stay in the house i'm like are you kidding me i'm like i'd rather be homeless no so yeah so yeah that is really how old were, how old were you 23 i mean you know i wasn't I'm not trying to minimize this at all, but it wasn't as if I were, you know, eight years old or something hearing that it was more, you know, I think, like I said, it was just probably because they felt so out of control and I had been so controlled my entire life. So I think it was just, they were grasping for straws and just saying really hateful things. Now, I, I have a question. So I had a guest recently from India and she grew up in domestic violence situations but the entire country and the culture like kind of accept this. And in Japan as well, the teacher, like I was telling my kids, I forgot like pocket 
pocket tissue and then we have a position check every day in the morning yeah. so um when i forgot the tissue i got punched in my head from my teacher so the discipline is completely different and then oh. it's different so in india that uh, she had disclosed that she had a case recently that uh, a girl got raped and then the parents went to the police and the police tried to um, get rid of the evidence and her body got dragged out and then uh, burned. Um, so the evidence is gone. So it's just the cultural like, you know, thing that is happening. But I'm just so surprised, Christina, growing up in that environment that nobody stepped in to help you, um, especially at school, maybe guidance and, and then you were living in America. And then I'm just so appalled because like, you no, know, we're supposed to identify these things in an abuse yeah. um, as a professional as well. Like, you know, when you clearly see anxiety and then eating disorders as a professional, they should somehow sense and then like evaluate a little bit more deeply. So I don't know how you didn't get the help when you're growing up. Yeah, I just don't think that schools or anybody really knew. And it's not something that I'm going to say, you know, I, I don't, I grew up in the nineties. I mean, I'm 35 now, but I always had stomach aches. I always had that anxiety from a very early age. I remember it as, as little as probably six years old, but I don't think that they knew now even, okay. So with pharmacists, we have to be able to identify and we go through training to identify child abuse. So if we do see that, or like, you know, say we can identify it somehow with somebody that brings a child into the pharmacy, you're obligated as a professional to say something. So I think it's a little bit different now, maybe when I grew up, but yeah, I mean, again, you don't think that it's wrong or anything's wrong. It's just like, oh, this is what I grew up with, you know, which is unfortunate. Just to echo that, Christina, when I was getting abused physically, sexually, um, verbally, I had no idea until I was 22 because right. I came to Berkeley College of Music where they had a guidance counselor. So as a student visa on, on the F, um, on F15 that you basically have to um, maintain some credits um, unless you're getting towards graduation. But I got into very deep depression and I had abortion. And then my guidance counselor then told me that I, that she suspects I have a PTSD, that I should see somebody. And I've never heard of abuse. I've never heard of PTSD, those conversations until I was 22. Yep. I, I really can relate to that as well. I think that yeah, so often, and I, I think I was 23 when I realized it. So yeah, yeah, I really feel deeply with you. Hmm. And then right now, um, how is these, um, how all these events in the childhood uh, affecting you as an adult? Yeah, so like I said, I think that the biggest way it manifested was physically and you know, with anxiety, you know, the eating disorders, depression, it was just kind of like these, it was almost like self-sabotage, like th these vicious cycles of all of these patterns that weren't serving me to have a life where I was happy because I wasn't happy. I was attracting all of these narcissistic men and um, abusing my body, like I said, with that night eating syndrome. So there was a lot of 
a lot of that I, I knew that I needed to heal, but I didn't really wake up from it until, like I said, around that time when I got kicked out. And I, that's when I was really kind of forced to look at my life and say, okay, well, how do I heal this? What do I have to do so that I, I live like other people live? Like I, I would look at my friends. I'm like, well, why don't they have, why don't they have this? You know? And I, you know, coming from a pharmacy background, we learn in school that disease is from like, you know, it's, it, oh, it's, it's genetic or it's from nutrition or lack of movement and all these different things, but what's not addressed is trauma. And that's what I now help pharmacists to realize. And actually I just had a big healers and healthcare conference that I put on in Cincinnati. And that was one of the big things that we focused on was trauma lives in the body. And so when you're not healing, it's, of course, it's going to manifest. It's going to manifest as all of these different challenges and health problems, even for patients too. So that is really my mission now is to help people be more aware of how the effects of trauma do show up physically, mentally, emotionally, and how we can start healing that. So I think that answered the question. Tell me if it didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have a question for you. So you mentioned that you had in adult life attracted abusive relationship yeah. due to the trauma. And I had the same experience, but instead of sharing my story, would you tell me why and how? Yeah. So when you, when, when I went through my, you know, abuse, I had a lot of these, you know, shame and guilt and, it was a lot of that undigested trauma because I didn't know how to heal from what had happened. And so the, what, what I was shown that like what love was, was abuse, like abuse in my mind equaled love, but it was unconscious. Right. So my dad, who is the the male figure in my life showed love through certain dysfunctional ways and so my brain associated love with those toxic traits. So I was like, oh, there's that person. This is all happening unconsciously. Oh, that that person, yeah, that's what I'm familiar with. And so that's what I was attracting. And obviously it wasn't, you know, it it wasn't love. So I think when you grow up with that, your brain associates love with with abuse in a way. At least that's the way it showed up for me. So I needed to move through the unworthiness, the shame, the guilt that I had, that I had in my body so that I could start attracting love, genuine love and, and friendships and, and good things into my life. Cause I didn't think I was worthy of anything good. It was that deep unworthiness of when you're abused, you think something's wrong with you and you're like, well, I, it's me. I'm, I'm the reason why this is happening. So it's rewiring that and really showing the body and the nervous system that it can be different. And it takes years to, to rewire that. So I completely agree with you. And I suffer the same exact thing about self-worth and Oh, yeah, I recognize that I'm comfortable with that. Yeah. And I've had so many relationships that I can count that were abusive, that um, my friends like tell me, Jury, you are getting abused, you're not treated right. 
you should get out of it. But then I didn't get out of it. I couldn't get out of it. And I somehow angelized the situation and then came up with some excuses. Right. Um, so I can totally echo and then like relate to you because of the childhood trauma that you had experienced. And then the, basically like you are educated and then wired in your brain that this is normal, but it's not normal. And right. like, how would you find the normalcy when you grew up in dysfunction family? You're asking how I, how I found normalcy? I am echoing what you're saying. And then as both of us survivors, like how would you even like see the normalcy until like you got kicked out? I got kicked out. But then even after I got kicked out, like, you know, even my age, I'm 46. Like what is your self-worth? And then how would you even like realize this is normal? Because it wasn't normal. Because I, like I, I'm just sharing it with you. Um, that my friends were telling me, right, right. You know, he's an ass. Like, why are you with him? You know. But then, like, I don't understand how to set a ground and how to set a boundary because right. I was heavily violated sexually, physically, emotionally, verbally, tormented. And my ego in my head is that I'm not beautiful. I am not worthy. I was called by my father I was called b-word and always called stupid and I just think that my self-image is stupid right. and not worthy so did you experience those self-images as people may say to you oh Christina you're beautiful but then you would kind of deny it like right. no I'm not like you know and I don't deserve these beautiful things well, absolutely. Yeah, I definitely believe that. And I think that when you have abuse, your your perception of yourself is warped because when you're, especially as a highly sensitive person, you're absorbing everybody's, you know, energy around you. And so that's why doing this inner healing is so important. I remember back when I first got kicked out, I started listening to, I forget the name. It was like a radio show. And I started just listening to more positive things. And I started to just journal and, and say, okay, like what is self-love? And starting with those little things, because I had to build myself back up because when you're beaten down, you need to almost, like I said, retrain your brain. So I started doing the opposite of what I had been exposed to. I started following spiritual leaders. I started, you know, going to therapy. I started to show myself, okay, well, what would a person who loves themselves do? Okay. They might go get a manicure. They might say kind things to themselves in the mirror. They might, um, do uh, go get flowers for themselves. Like I started to do those small things and kind of getting myself out of that, that toxic environment, because even after I was out of the house those thoughts were still in there because you're like brainwashed, right? So I would say being around supportive people that are going to help you heal, getting out of that environment because we can't heal in toxic environments and getting support from someone who is going to help you 
to heal and to rewire that part of you that feels so broken and so worthless because of everything that's happened. So it's a process. And like I said, I mean, I'm 11 years in, I'm 35 now, or, you know, I guess, so it was like right on the cusp of 24 is when I got kicked out. So it is a continual journey. And this is why I'm so passionate about the work that I do with women, because I can really relate. And I know I'm, I don't want to jump to the last question too quick, but I, I love that you talk about the gift that comes from it. So I'll leave it at that for now. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Christina, you had shared a little bit, but uh, let's move on to the next question, which is the tools that you use to yeah. overcome. Now, this is my absolute favorite and valuable part of the podcast for the past episodes. And then my guests are from all over the world. And then what universal language became about adversity is that um, sadly that we had experienced these kind of trauma and incidents in life. And, but the consensus is that I really find hard for people who absolutely fortunately never experienced domestic violence or this trauma tell me just for forgive and forget and like you know it's just not a casual thing like that and I just don't like people like not as compassionate as they could be but um you know people say stuff so this is my favorite part of podcast mean a lot of guests who had experienced extreme trauma like yourself included unfortunately they struggle we try on error and then try different things but my question is, what are the maybe top three tools that you actually used and then worked? Yeah. So actually, I'm glad that you you making me refine it into three. So that one of the first things that I was attracted to, I was in, I can still remember I was in college. It was 2009. I was just in a really bad place um, emotionally. And I was, you know, having this night eating syndrome. So I Googled, I'll never forget. I was Googling like, cause I was going to therapy, what wasn't really helping. I Googled, um, maybe something about night eating syndrome and hypnosis popped up and I was like, Hmm, never really tried hypnosis before. So I actually went to this man who actually wound up training me in hypnosis. So I, I do hypnosis now as well and can facilitate that. It's all about your subconscious programming. And that foundational subconscious programming happens from birth to age seven. So all of your beliefs about yourself and love, money, relationships, everything is, is really planted at that time. And so if you've experienced abuse and you believe that you're unworthy, that's going to show up in your adult life because that's your foundational blueprint of how you see yourself. So I went to this man Doug O'Brien. And he, my anxiety was probably and my night eating syndrome symptoms were at like a nine, as far as like on a scale of one to 10, it went to like a two after one session. And I realized that I had never really felt safe. Like he, he took me into an image of, it was, um, like a visualization of a beach, you know, and I started crying and I realized he goes, you know, he was saying, go somewhere where you feel safe. And I was like, I just started crying. Cause I felt like I never had felt safe in my life. I was always on that hyper vigilant. Oh, like who's going to abuse me next unconsciously. So that is definitely one thing that I always recommend to people is looking into hypnosis or 
Um, I know rapid transformation therapy is another really powerful, uh, you know, certification that people have that you can go search out, you know, Mercer Peer, anything like that um, will really help to shift and rewire that subconscious. Another thing that I do is, you know, I work with the nervous system as well. So I realize that, you know, trauma lives in the body. And if we really want to heal our beliefs, we have to heal in the body first. So when you're going through trauma, you have fight, flight, freeze, right? Those, those different experiences of, I have to protect myself in some way. So I'm either going to fight and get defensive. I'm going to run away from the abuse or I'm going to freeze and dissociate. So the nervous system rewiring really helps you to feel safe in your body. That is extremely healing because when the nervous system is, is regulated, then your thoughts start to become more regulated because the nervous system informs the brain to say, I'm safe. So that would be the second thing. And then the third thing is support in whatever feels, I'm not going to say that, you know, everybody's healing journey is going to be the same, but you're going to know what feels right to you based upon how it feels. So if you know that going to a 12-step program is what you want to do to heal, go do it. You know, just follow your intuition and, and go do that, um, whatever's calling to you. So just be aware. I always just say, God, lead me to the right resource, the right person to for my next step. Show me my next step. And you will be shown through a person, a podcast, a resource, whatever that might be. So those are the three things that I would say, hypnosis, nervous system work, and whatever form of support works for you. Thank you so much for telling me that. So myself, I did EMDR. Yeah. And I have um, DBT, deck of card, um, director of behavioral therapy, um, what to do. And what's so important, um, the hypnosis and then, um, the support system and the nerve. Uh, so, like, how effective was hypnosis? Like, I, I'm just curious. Like, what did you see? And then it was interesting that you say about zero to seven that it's formed. So, in Japanese, there's a, a, a word, mitsugo no tamashi hakumade. That means, like, the three years old spirit carries through to 100 age 100 years of age wow yeah it's similar but then it's interesting that you said the early childhood uh, foundation determines your adulthood life and then like you earlier mentioned that however you got kicked out and then you didn't you were physically not with the abusers but then it hurts you in your brain so myself my abuser is in back in japan and i'm like so physically away but then my brain like i was one time my first marriage I had a, this gorgeous honeymoon in saint john and i remember on this heavenly place yeah earth that i had a panic attack and i was running and hiding and it, i just realized like no matter how gorgeous the place is heavenly the place is that your brain like the trauma haunts you down so how does how how was your first experience of hypnosis well like i said i the man was the man doug o'brien that i'm talking about he was very just very calm and i think that that had a lot to do with with me feeling safe with him because i was just i remember i was sitting in a chair 
and he kind of led me through, it's called progressive relaxation where like, you know, you're going onto a beach and like, you know, he's taking you, uh, you know, taking you kind of into a more relaxed state. And then there's those, you know, positive suggestions. And I can remember just, like I said, feeling that kind of, I just started crying and I, in my mind, I'm like, I've never felt safe. And I realized that I did feel safe in that moment. And I was able to really let go and allow those new beliefs to come into my brain because you have to be open with hypnosis. You really have to be open and receptive to these new beliefs that the person's going to be, you know, rewiring within you. And I listened to that hypnosis for 21 days. So that's typically the amount of time that it takes for your brain to really absorb and start living that out. But I can even remember within the first day, I guess, cause I'm so open. I, I, like I said, the anxiety and the symptoms went from, I think a nine to like a two or something like that. Like I was, I was still getting up in the middle of the night, but instead of eating a bunch of garbage, I had like an apple or something like that. It was amazing. So that really led me down this whole journey of energy and learning about energy and the subconscious and the nervous system, Reiki. I mean, all of these different things that I now use with my clients that are really so powerful. So question. So learning these method, not no invasive, like medicine wise, and then um, using that to your now clients, how is it healing you? How is it healing me? Yeah, because you are a survivor. And then you heal yourself with all these tools that you discovered along the way. And I hope you're doing much better now. But now you're helping other people. How is helping other people similar experience healing you or helping you? Oh, I mean, I think that is the the greatest gift that that you, you know, this is my opinion that I was able to transmute that pain into gold. And that's actually why I wear sparkly earrings and why I, you know, my business is, you know, you can see it here. I have, you know, gold everywhere because I want other people to know it's safe to shine and who they are. And I would not be able to really fully understand or be able to empathize with people unless I had gone through the absolute hell that I had been through. So I, I don't, again, I don't want to jump too, too much further ahead as I know you're going to ask this question, but it's a gift. I see it now because I've processed through everything and, you know, obviously there are still layers to healing, but I see that as as a huge gift because now i have the passion and the drive to help other people who have experienced similar emotions and maybe it's not extreme trauma to the severity of what i experienced but trauma is trauma so we have the same effects maybe it's anxiety or unworthiness or shame or guilt that come as a side effect of experiencing these very traumatic things that we go through so it's really helped me to feel like I'm, I'm being, I'm in my purpose when I'm helping other people. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing that. So just to share it with you, and in my book, I started a nonprofit age 26 and I ran it for 12 years. And then the nonprofit was called Genuine Voices, Finding the, Your Genuine Voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're teaching music in the detention centers. So I was teaching literally like blood and crypts, like the gang um, in the detention program. And wow. we're teaching music in um, the detention program. And I, I got an award called Heroes Among Us from MBA, Boston Celtic. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you um, as part of the tools that I really recommend is I know you're damaged and you are abused and then you're a survivor, but then healing other people, helping other people um, see through what you went through. I remember vividly like there was a performance in Boston. It was at the Boston Green Fest and there's this um youth that we taught and then he um came out of the community he's doing great and then we invited him to a performance opportunity and then it scored and then we were kind of sheltering from the rain in the starbucks and then until then i kind of not distance but i didn't have that deep connection with him and then in in that raining situation um you know i kind of disclosed that i was also homeless and then i went through that and then so like he was like locking my eyes and he was like so you went through some shit huh and I'm like yeah I did and then it just like it was really interesting um aha moment in a way that like say I come out Asian American um like living in America like maybe Silver Spoon like in a perfect life and then like you know nobody expect that I went through that hell and I also like you know had this really weird situation where I was a guest speaker for a woman who came out of prison. And then when I shared, I was homeless and I was abused. And then, oh, I didn't know that happened to Asian people or something, or like, you know, Japanese, whatever. So it's just like weird, but I just found out to be such a healing process to not only reach out to other people, but sharing your story. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast that, um, you are speaking out, you're showing up, and then you are showing that it's okay that this happened to you. However, you can shine. I love that so much that you can wear gold and you can, you know, do manicure and then self-care. And I love that how you said that you learn from people who knows how to self-love and then how, what they're doing to themselves. And I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at self-care. Well, stop saying that then. Why don't you start, watch your language, right? I, so you could start saying something like, I'm learning to love myself, right? So even just like a little shift in your language, right? Like, oh, I'm so bad at it. Why don't you just like open the door, open the door to self-love and say, huh, what would be, I get myself fresh flowers every week. Actually, my husband got me flowers because my birthday is next week. But typically I do that every single week. So maybe you could start doing one little thing, right? I love it. Yeah, Yeah. thank you so much. So my last question is a gift that came from it. So what would you say a gift that came from your adversity? Oh, I would say there's so many gifts that came from it. I would say the biggest is definitely deep compassion for people, for humankind. Sorry. I would say the the deep love 
and compassion that comes from being from, you know, at, at the worst, what, what most people fear, which is like homelessness or not having any money or whatever, you know, a lot of people fear that and being able to literally create the life that, that I have now and to be able to heal through all of that, I think, and then help other people to help them shine. Because no matter what happened, anybody listening, anybody watching this, no matter what happened to you, no matter what the abuse was, whatever trauma you've been through, there is a part of your soul that can never be taken. That is your light. And that's why I have, again, here too, your light can never be snuffed out because that is your soul's essence. And that's what I, I want to help people shine and who they really are. And it, I know it's scary. I know that it's, you know, to share some of these vulnerable things, but I have such a deep level of compassion for people. Like I've worked, I've volunteered when I got kicked out of my house, I actually volunteered with the homeless. Cause I'm like, I get you not, not maybe to the, the extent of what they went through, but I can get what that's like in a way. You know, so I, you know, try to give back as much as I can through my community, through like I have a bunch of, you know, resources, free resources, um, meditations and, you know, YouTube videos and trainings. And I help people show up and shine. That's why I do it, because I know what it's like to be going through a hell. And so that is my life purpose. That is why God put me here. Because when you're so broken, it's an opportunity for you to be broken open and for your heart to flood the world with the love that you have inside of you. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter, you know, what, what you've experienced. Like I said, that light can never be snuffed out. So it's really bringing that light out and using your gifts, using, you know, being able to share your story and inspire other people. Like that is the, the biggest gift that I've received from it. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Christina. I cry with you and I completely understand. And I can't thank you now for being a part of my podcast, A Gift from Adversity today. Well, you are a gift. So thank you. Absolutely. And thank you everyone for tuning in and we have more guests coming in and thank you for being part of it.